1: Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric. Bookaloo, I'm your host, Anthony. This week, Aaron's back. Aaron and I talk about Arya's sojourn at Harrenhal. In this chapter, and Hagar reveals himself as a master assassin. And what little girl doesn't want a master assassin at her disposal? Do please check out what else is going on at Bald Move. I'm really enjoying Foundation and the Bald Move coverage of Foundation. What an amazing vision of a classic sci-fi. And of course, who better to cover a show like that than Jim and Aaron? Make sure that you subscribe to all of the Bald Move feeds, rate and review on iTunes, and consider becoming a patron. Okay, without further ado, here is Bosemang Aaron. Aaron, how many podcasts a week on average for you?
0: It's never less than five. Average six or seven. At peak
1: times, it gets to be like ten. And And we're trying to, like, double up for holidays. And what kind of – I'm just kind of curious. uh, Maybe other people will be curious too. What kind of prep work do you put in for your sort of garden variety podcast? The average – Tel- hour of television i watch
0: a minimum of two times usually three um i do the the middle pass is the one where i do most of my notes and i actually pause the, the, the second one is where i pause and rewind and make sure i get everything uh-huh. and then i like to to save at least 90 minutes but usually 2 hours to just um like research things that spark my curiosity or you know, things that I'm like, oh, that doesn't, I, I feel like I don't, I don't quite grasp that or I want to look and see mm-hmm. like if it's a puzzle box, what kind of theory. So we usually say about 10, like, like five to 10 hours goes into every hour of podcasts we make.
1: Wow. I mean, that's impressive to me. I, I just It's not
0: much on the back end, because we, especially now we have Talitha, who's just d- doing all the production for us. But, he, you know, Jim and I got to where we were, mm-hmm. you know, it took us like 15, 20 minutes to edit and publish a podcast. So most of that's on the prep. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Um,
1: And then, of course, a chapter like this. How does your prep work feel different for something like this? Oh, it's a
0: lot scarier because I've got this uh, perhaps undeserved reputation for Game of Thrones expertise. Uh-huh. Just because I just really love naturally things that are you know have a lot of lore to them, yeah. and Martin's world has tons of world building and lore, and I get really into it. But the the dirty secret, Anthony, is I can only hold about one or two worlds of information in my head, and like <laughs> when I get really deep on something else, I can feel <laughs> the you know who's got what uh, Valerian steel blade slipping so through my a, brain, and you
1: did an ice and fire. A uh, data dump when you started watching strange new worlds, is that what you're saying?
0: yeah, it's it's like that, you know, where it's like, yeah, like I have to I had to really bone up, really bone up to get back in the house of Dragon cause it'd been years since I uh-huh. thought about that universe. um and now it's gonna be like two plus years before we get it back, so it'll it'll probably be again uh, you know, but like, yeah, it's
1: I wonder if it's, it's different for Star Wars because we experienced that world and spent so much time in that world with a pretty small canon for decades. Well, that's a good question. Maybe it's because I was younger, too, but, like, when I was able
0: to singularly, like, Lord of the Rings lore and Star Wars lore and Star Trek, especially the old series, yeah, the next generation, Deep Space Nine era lore, feels very sticky. Um, but that's because I was super obsessed and I had nothing else to do right. when I was a high schooler than right. just, you know, so, like, I... And and I and also, like, I never got into, like... It's not like I was... Like, I was way into Star Wars, and then I kind of got older and got to be, like, 11 and 12, and Star Trek started to be more appealing. Yeah. And I got way into Star Trek, and then Star Wars started being a big thing when I was in my early 20s, and I'm like, yeah. So, it's like, I, being into something one at a time is mm-hmm. a lot easier than trying to be an expert at, like, all universes. Right. Um, and I don't think it's even possible. I feel like a lot of people who are known for being good at that on the internet are like fake it till you make it types. Like they just do like I do. They just do a ton of prep work and a ton of study and note taking to make sure they sound like they know what they're, they're what they're talking right. about because you know, they're, they're working at it. It's not like they're just this vast home of, of of knowledge, unless, like I said, there's there's people that are singularly into like a Song of Ice and Fire that I believe that of, but people who are doing, you know, kind of like we're trying to keep up with this current pop culture and are going from Marvel to Star Wars to Lord of the Rings, the there's no freaking way, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know.
1: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day. With a chapter like this, I kind of feel like it's got its tendrils in so many different parts of the Westerosi world. I'm sort of reaching over to Essos. I can kind of, I kind of get the sense that with a chapter like this, you almost want to start doing rabbit trails, right? I, I, mm. I felt myself sort of, ah, what about Lady Went? Like. When, when was, mm-hmm. what, what was her story again? And you know, th- there are little bits and pieces of this chapter that got me thinking about other parts of the world. That's the Riverlands, baby.
0: It's at the heart of everything. Mm. You got like a, you know, all the houses are coming together. There's so many famous battles there. Yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah. I, I think you you when anytime you get the things around the Crownlands or around the Riverlands, it feels like it's a little bit more connected or plugged in because there's just so much history. There's so much you know lands and titles and castles that have changed hands like even just allude here in this chapter about the uh, uh, uh the heron hall yeah. you know how many times that has changed hands and people who have had the mind to you know fix it up or let it just fall to ruin or you know build it back better than ever and um yeah there's a there's a sense of history there that you don't get in well i mean i don't know like we don't spend much time in the reach or dorn but i feel like riverlands chapters especially feel a little bit more plugged in as they just are in the middle of everything
1: yeah it also has the problem of not being a location that we've been to a lot so mm. new location sometimes george will do kind of a mythology information offload or something where he kind of feels like well now that we're here let me tell you something about the the mythology let me tell you something about the rumors around this place. So he wants to give some texture to a place that, he, you know, you go to your garden variety Tyrion chapter. Well, there's been like 40 chapters set in King's Landing. He doesn't have to tell you the mythology around King's Landing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this chapter is, was a lot. And um, as compared to the last Arya chapter, th- I mean, there's just tons to talk about. But let me uh, start with my synopsis. Here. Weeks have passed and Arya is now Weasel, the low-born serving girl at Harrenhal. Between her duties, she hears rumors of Tywin's plans, ghosts, sexual escapades, and most importantly, that Rob's army is at Riverrun. Arya does her best to scheme an escape, but no scheme seems good enough to work. She notices that the comings and goings of Tywin's goons and marvels at the exotic, bloody mummers. Finally, she observes the return of Jaqen Hagar. Jaqen wakes Arya up one night and tells her that she must choose three lives to offer to the Red God. After hearing Chiswick boast of his rape of a 13-year-old girl she whispers chiswick in the ear of Jackin. 3 days later the rapist falls from the wall walk to his death arya names herself the ghost of heron hall so Aaron, what do you want to talk about um i
0: so you're interested in you know kind of folklore and history and mm-hmm. um, myth and legend right and it's it's a fact it's it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if you made this point in our uh, Gods of Thrones books, but have you noticed how reminiscent uh, Arya's relationship with Jaqen is that to a person who's liberated a genie? Yeah. In this case, a murder <laughs> genie?
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 I think we did make this point in Gods of Thrones. Yeah. No, it's absolutely. He's a death genie for sure. Uh, It's
0: fun. I, 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 it's funny because like it's I don't know how many years it's been since we wrote that book, and like no less than three. So we we just had a a a real life event where we hosted and, and we did a Total Recall viewing a podcast, and no less than three people brought me their Kickstarter copies of gods of thrones that had me sign. Yeah. Good. Uh, so that was really cool. Yeah. Still, so, it's, but like, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, like how closely this cleaves to some of the, 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 the legends and, yeah. and uh, how much the, um, of a pattern
1: that Martin follows mm. with this. Have you covered this in the podcast recently? Cause if so, I'll, I I'll have just... not. Okay. And kind of would be worth revisiting it because sometimes there are mythologies that Martin touches on and it's like, well, that's could have been coincidence. It could be like Martin's mythic subconscious, like a cultural memory bleeding through without sort mm-hmm. of a conscious homage. This time, I think it's like Martin knows what he's doing. He's clearly yeah. making Jack and uh, you know drawing from genie mythology, and uh, so it'd be it'd be good to sort of draw out a few of these parallels.
0: So you liberate a genie and you're granted three wishes. And typically in these genie tales, because a lot of these are, are morality plays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first wish that the wish giver is, is given is used frivolously <laughs> or is often perceived as wasted because mm-hmm. the grantee doesn't fully trust the genie or doesn't fully believe that what they're saying they can do mm-hmm. is ca- they're capable of it or they're testing the system. Mm-hmm um and part of the deliciousness of that working out for the reader is that in retrospect you think oh man if only the hero had that one wish back what could they have Mm -hmm. changed you know she essentially wastes one of her um one of her one of her wishes on this who was it that, that, that she kills is it
1: chiswick yeah that's right chiswick yeah
0: you know, who is this guy? He's a guy who bragged about being part of a rape gang yeah. uh, under command of Gregor Clegane. Uh He's a bad dude. Uh, I don't think the world is, is improved by his continued existence, but you think of all the targets that she had here at her disposal, um, it's hard not to think, well, you wish you had that one back. Um, and I was wondering like, you know, we can talk more about the genie thing, because I just thought that was interesting that, yeah. uh, you know, you always have this kind of frivolous wish, like you know Aladdin wants to be made into a prince uh uh you you've you, you've got this kind of like test wish um what do you think who is who is the 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 if you could substitute one person for this this wasted wish who do you think would be the most impactful one that you would you'd would swap out yeah
1: it's a, it's a good question now i i should note that chiswick is on her list yes and so i mean her list has existed at least for two chapters now. Did he not get added
0: this this particular chapter though?
1: I think Chiswick got added the last Arya chapter. Did he? Okay. And it was because it was sort of in a shed by the God's eye and their their whole group was being tortured and I mean he wasn't the only one torturing but he 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 made the list, right? Right. So it's interesting that it's interesting that she chooses him. I think that the reason she kind of chooses him is that she hears him not just that he was sort of involved with this horrific act, but that he's laughing about it and he's mm. he's boasting about it. And I I kind of feel like she thinks that dude needs to die and I could do something about it right now. Yeah. So so who should I, I my feeling is it should be someone from the list, right? And Tywin's not on the list because I think that's a pretty obvious choice. It'd be like, yeah, you kill Tywin, and this story changes significantly. Oh, damn! Yeah, you're
0: that's because that's my go-to answer. Like, if you kill Tywin, you know, there's been a lot of people on the the internet to kind of game things out, like the red wedding falls through. Mm-hmm. You know what stops Rob's march? To King's Landing, you also have like what Kevin Lannister now leading the defense of his. his it also family. emboldens
1: and, all of the other armies that are amassing, right? Yeah, you've
0: got you've got both of the Baratheons. Uh, you know, you've got the Iron uh, Islanders mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 the raising their banners. Um, you've got Seoul. Know, you got the War of Five Kings, right? Yeah, and you have a big. You know, the, and, and Tywin is kind of like stemming the tide. With his ravens and with his armies and with his gold, he's like kind of like holding everything all together here in the center. And if you swipe that off the board, it seems like it's—it's it's hard to imagine that Joffrey and Cersei managed to retain King's Landing uh, under those conditions. Yeah. but if you say that it's got to be part of her prayer,
1: ooh, that really changes. Well, and that, I think that really changes things. I, I think if the question is if it was me and I was offered the wish who would I choose knowing what I know of where the story goes? Tywin's a pretty good choice. Yeah. Um. But if it's Arya and you want to make, you want to do right by the character work that you've already established. And she kind of runs through this thing in her head. She's like, yeah, Joffrey's Joffrey and Cersei are too far away. Mm -hmm. And I think, and Tywin's not on the list yet. I, I think it's gotta be someone on the list. And for me, I, I might go with the mountain. I, and if you really want to test Jack and Hagar, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you really think that you can kill anyone, huh? All right. D-d- how about that guy right there? How about the guy that looks like a freaking monster? That might be an interesting choice. This is a super, because
0: let's play this out. Because I think everybody can kind of see Taiwan, how that would collapse. But the mountain's tricky, right? If the mountain's dead. Does Oberyn even show up? That's the. <laughs> Oberyn you know, certainly doesn't...
1: doesn't volunteer to be a champion for Tyrion.
0: I don't even know why he shows up because he shows up specifically yeah. to
1: get justice for,
0: you know, his sister's slain uh-huh. children, right? Uh-huh. So I don't even know he shows up. Tyrion might not have anyone uh, to defend him, but then again, Cersei doesn't have her champion. But that's the other thing is without uh without clegane dying slowly and painfully under the ministrations of kyburn you don't get robert sir robert Mm -hmm. strong Mm -hmm. and without cersei's
1: champion she falls a lot quicker in the story too also what does that do to the hounds sort of character arc like he find out her brother is his brother this is a guy fueled by revenge yeah. Uh, what is it? What does this do to to his motivation? I, I'm not sure. It's interesting. He's not actually a significant character in the story, in terms mm-hmm. of like understanding his motivations. But it, it robs us of the Clegane Bowl, it does.
0: horns <laughs> it and vavuzelas <laughs> and
1: sirens and yeah. But but you you
0: don't get that. But you're right. Like you think that because uh, that's the thing is we don't know the hound's ultimate fate in the books. Um, we do know his fate in the show. It's hard to believe that, you know, assuming that he escorts Arya mm-hmm. and that kind of like goes the plan. It's hard to believe that he would you know, ever get off that uh, uh, what is it the the silent aisle? I forget the um, oh yeah. He, yeah. He, he he never he never puts down his dra- gravedigger sure. persona. He just stays permanently retired. Assuming in the
1: books he comes back because of the Clegane Bowl. But okay, I'm gonna throw in one more name. Okay. Ooh, I'm I'm an evil narrative genie, and I've (laughs) I've given given Anthony three possibilities. (laughs) One more name. This one may be the best, and the name is Joffrey, and there's three reasons why. Joffrey over Cersei, huh? Okay. Okay. Well, here's the thing. He's on the list, number one. Sure. He's sort of like the first great hatred of Arya's life, so it would absolutely fit with her character. You know, way going way back to the early chapters of a Game of Thrones, and on top of that, you killed that guy who sits the throne now. It's like infant Tommen.
0: Uh, I mean, that's exactly what would happen, yeah. So it's like, I don't know if that changes, it changes, it, it changes Sansa's fate for sure, changes Sansa's fate, probably for the better. Um, I feel like Tommen would be a better king. I, I mean, th- th- this might be good for the Lannisters. I don't know if it's good for the realm. Well, it well, gives Cersei basically more power, right? Gives Cersei a lot more power because she and she's she's kind of crazy,
1: so that might not be good. Yeah. Interesting. All right, let me throw out uh, a few more sort of mytho- mythological parallels between Jack and Hagar and genies. Okay. All right. I'm doing this for memory. Genie lore uh is sort of stems from. The word jinn and jinn etymologically means from the flame, mm-hmm. and this is exactly fire spirits, yes, fire spirits. And this is exactly how Jack and Hakara saved, ah. he saved from the fire, right? Yeah, um, in addition to that, in the last chapter, when Arya first introduced her list. Martin says she polished her hates like Gendry once polished his horned helm. Ah.
0: What do you do to get
1: a genie? you got to polish something, right? Rub that lamp. Right? And then, so, so he uses the term polish, and then he introduced the lists, and then she starts repeating these names. and And right before this, she thinks about adding another three names to her list, and she decides not to do it. So the number three... Is crucial to the story. And there are rules, you know, there are rules to this business. Clearly, this is some kind of magic that seems like a, something of a morality play. Although I'm not sure what it's actually trying to say. We can talk about more of that later. Anyway, for all those reasons, yes, indeed, I think that Jack and Hagar is a death genie. Love it. I just want to ask you a question since we're on this topic. This is the only time the term Red God is used not in relationship to Melisandre's religion. He said, and I don't get the sense, like, yes, the the Heart of Flame is included in the statues at the House in Black and White. And so sort of the Red God seems to be something in the pantheon of the many-faced god. Well, it has to be right. Yeah, but what is the what is the rationale here that any anyone who dies by fire has to be is someone that's claimed by the red god, and if someone is saved from fire, then someone else has to be named. Like, I, I don't like. Are these rules? Are, is Jack and are making these rules up? Like, because he just li- he just likes killing. He likes unlicensed <laughs> killing. I don't uh, see how this. I don't see how these w- rules really work. So, I'm
0: trying to think. There's there's probably two answers here. There's the in universe answer, and then there's the out of universe answer. And I think the out of universe answer is this is early enough in the series that Martin doesn't have his Essos pantheon quite figured out. Yeah. And he has no one's forced to put a, a metaphorical narrative gun to his head and be like, you got to, you know. So he's like, he already has Melisandre with the red god and R'hllor, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he's got this mythology built. And he's like, ah, oh, maybe they all, you know, um, Maybe they all kind of like you know roll that way. Well, and this is the book um, that he introduces Mel, right? So, exactly, all this stuff is kind of like you know he's gardening, he's gardening. Yeah, yeah. And this is like this is just a wild branch that didn't quite it got published before he could prune it. Yeah, yeah. Um, in universe, that's a lot harder. Like I guess when you know the the, the whole idea of the many face gods is they. You know, essentially recognize and, and worship all of them, and, and see them uh, all as connected to the true God, the, uh-huh. the only one true universal God, the God of Death. So, like that, um, I, I like wonder R'hllor's if just a uh,
1: face of that.
0: Yeah, or yeah. it might it might hint that that he's a little bit more important to Jack and H- before he converted to the faceless men, maybe that Relora was an important part of his. You know, personal mm-hmm. religion. Do you do you have any ideas of
1: a good in in universe reason why my might be? I mean, I guess the first thing I would think is that we don't really know where Jack and Hagar comes from. Like he he has sort of a, right. a Lorathi, yeah. yeah. accent. But this but that's yeah. The, what does that even mean? Yeah, um, maybe he's from Shy. I mean, we don't really know anything about him besides sort of the personas he's putting forward. Right. Um, he can
0: change those as, as easy as, yeah. you know, wipe, wiping on and off some mud off
1: your face. The other thing is that if you are trying to practice multiple religions simultaneously, you kind of have to pick and choose. Yeah. Um, maybe he sort of adopted the parts of religion that have to do with life and death because that's what most fit with sort of the House of Black and White ethos. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't follow everything that's related to that religion, but he's at least buying into the connection between fire and the red god. It is weird to hear him refer to the red god and not have this connect in any way to the relore worship that is introduced elsewhere. It could also
0: be him maintaining cover. Like, you know, he doesn't you know, he's oh, he's yeah. not ready to say, hey, I'm a faceless man. And here's our whole deal. You know, girl, <laughs> right. uh, he's he's trying to be a Lerath assassin. And, you know, he's 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 talking about gods and worship that's consistent with that. You know, it, it'd be it'd be, you know, if he was trying to maintain uh, a, a cover in Dorne, he wouldn't be talking about the old gods. Right. Sure. Uh, and if he's trying to look like a Northman, he wouldn't be talking about uh, the the, the drowned god. That would that would seem weird. Right. So he's 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 making a religious cultural reference to
1: maintain his cover story. Right. The other connection to lore worship in this chapter is sort of like sort of subtext. But you were hearing these rumors of Don uh a few times in this chapter. The Lightning Lord. The, yeah, and sort of there's this sort of rumor, well, you know, this guy says he killed him here, and that guy says he killed him there. And, of course, you know, sort of there's this joke about, like, I bet you the next time they kill him he's really going to stay dead or something like that. Mm. And it kind of introduces, it's interesting, there are so many rumors that are floating around in this chapter, and it's almost like every fourth rumor kind of has a kernel of truth to it. So, anyway... In a chapter where the Red God is talking about, we also kind of hear the first discussion of maybe Dondarrion is—he's not staying dead like he should. Right. Uh, I thought that was notable. Yeah. Um. Did you did you make the uh, at one point Arya sees a guy who's walking the wall. He's a fierce man with a black beard. And he's got a son on his, his, his sigil is a son on a black cape. And she doesn't quite make him. She doesn't quite know who he was. I had to dig deep to figure out who this guy was. Did you? Who is he? Did you clock this? I, I, I did not. I think it is Harrian Karstark. That is my guess. And the only reason I think that is that, that they were just at war, you know, they were just war. Oh, he's
0: the, he's one the paroled Northmen, yes, what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: I think that's, I, I think,
0: because uh, I did some research into the Northmen that she did meet, and that seems to be what everyone, that, that's Got a common, okay. c- common supposition. That
1: was kind of my guess there, but it, again, it's one of these things where it's like, you're getting this from the perspective of Arya, who didn't do her homework, and so she doesn't know all the sigils little details like this that Martin throws in that I guess a less determined reader would just kind of skip on past. Yeah. I found the, someone
0: had pointed out, I think it was on Reddit. It might've been on the uh, forum of ice and fire, but they're talking about how doomed all the fates of these prisoners are. Mm. You had the Manderly fellow who's going to eventually, you know, he's going to be liberated by Arya, but he'll be captured at the Ruby Ford, right. come back to Hall. Gets turned into a cannibal by Gregor Clegane. Yeah. <laughs> returned to his family, a broken man. You got the Karstark, who's going to be freed, sent off to Duskendale, take a prisoner at Maidenpool. His uncle is going to try to murder him by proxy to steal his lands. And then you got the phrase, Sir Jared Holstein and Danwell. The first is going to be eaten and killed by Wyman Manderley in revenge uh, for the death of his son. The second is heading to his death at the Battle of Ice, and the third is still unaccounted for, but is marked for death Uh, by Lady Stoneheart. uh So the idea that no one truly escapes Harrenhal... uh, (laughs) They're all cursed. They're all cursed. They're all
1: cursed, everyone. Everyone that goes through these gates. so interesting. So I like this. I like the idea that people are cursed, and I will also note that... Arya, at one point like she stopped calling herself a wolf and in this chapter she's called herself a mouse mm. and he says that, and she says that they're they're all kind of mice because Heron Hall is so giant right and that kind of made me think is this a little wink to the story of the rat king because mm. the you know the, the 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 moral of that story was inhospitality will curse you eventually curse you real bad I thought it's interesting that despite
0: the mouse imagery, heraldry she's taking for herself, that she nevertheless has what we will come to appreciate as a wolf dream. Yep. yep. You know, right before Jack and Hagar wakes her, she is running with a pack of wild wolves yeah. through the riverlands, and we'll know, eventually we'll come to understand that that's Nymeria leading a pack of wolves and doing her own revenge for her siblings. So there's still, even though she's seeing herself as a wolf, that I'm sorry, a mouse. Yeah. That that uh, her family connection right. is uh, still running deep and strong.
1: Yeah, and it's and we don't. It's not. It's kind of thrown away. It's kind of like just a, a passing comment that she is, uh, she's having this dream, and then while we're on the topic, I loved the little homage to werewolf lore. I'll read this little passage. This is what the. There's a rumor that Taiwan bought a ton of silver. To forge magic swords that would slay Stark wargs. That's got to be a nod to the silver bullet lore, right? Oh, yeah. It's got to. Yeah. It's got to. Um, So I I love werewolf stuff. I thought that was great. I'm a big, big fan
0: of the werewolf vampire Frankenstein lore Mm -hmm. woven into the the Game of Thrones, for sure.
1: (laughs) Yep yep was there anything I mean this chapter's got so many different directions you could go was there anything else that you noted that you thought was too interesting not to mention
0: uh I don't know like there's I mean this is the kind of first appearance of the the bloody mummers I guess right I'm gonna I Um, wanna read
1: this because it's something that does not it does not make it into the show and yet they these guys are fantastic Arya did not know who the Bloody Mummers were until a fortnight later, when the queerest company of men she'd ever seen arrived at Hall. Beneath the standards of a black goat with bloody horns, rode copper men with bells in their braids, lancers astride striped black and white horses, bowmen with powdered cheeks, squat hairy men with shaggy shields, brown-skinned men with feathered cloaks, and a wispy fool in green and pink motley, swordsmen with fantastic forked beards dyed green and purple and silver, spearmen with colored scars that covered their cheeks, and a slender man in septon's robes, a fatherly one in maester's gray, and a sickly one whose leather cloak was fringed with long blonde hair. Uh, these little Buffalo Bill action with that last one, I think. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And then, of course, we meet Vargo Hoat, uh, who's kind of a looks like kind of a goat himself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a beard, a black beard that grew from his pointed chin nearly to his waist. The helm that hung from his saddle horn was black steel, fashioned in the shape of a goat's head. So you get the sense that. I, I mean, at least how I'm reading this is this kind of is a company of sellswords, mostly from Essos, because I think we've got uh, several mentions of different cultures from various sure. points on the Essos map. Mm-hmm. Uh, the copper men, I think are Dothraki, you know, they got the, the braided hair with bells in it. That's all the bells and braids yeah. dead giveaway. Yeah. yeah. Right. You got the, the, the guys riding zebras. The, I, think sure. e. I think this is ET. I think this is, I'm not, I'm not positive about that. But anyway, my sense is that these guys come from all over and they're kind of like a dirty dozen kind of crew. Yeah, they're like I, the, the the
0: Suicide Squad. Yeah, that's
1: that's who these guys are,
0: and they're held in a universal content. In fact, they're not the bloody mummers. That's what everyone calls them behind their back. They're the brave companions. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to see the way that they see themselves <laughs> yeah,
1: right. is completely different from the image they're projecting into the world. Yeah, right. And do I remember correctly that Vargo Hote will eventually? Is he the guy that eventually takes Jamie's hand? yes so yes
0: yeah it's lock. they changed it to lock in because i i remember it's different in the show uh-huh. but that's because they don't have the brave companions at all so yes it's fargo in the book lock in the show you're nothing lad, your daddy your daddy ain't here never forget that
1: yeah this should help you remember <laughs> That's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, the the Jamie loses his hand at the end. Smash cut the rock and roll, hard hard rock, bear Uh, in the maiden fair of the bear and maiden fair. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, pretty good. So, uh, yeah, so the bloody mummers, and of course, this is kind of one of those times when the show kind of tones down the circus type characteristics. Um, notable introductions. We talked about a few of these. We hear about Lady Wentz, bats, giant. That's for the first time. Another wink to vampire lore here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We get the names of the misshapen towers of Heron Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, Weeze gets added to the death list. And we find out that it's a death list. In this in the previous chapter, she names the names, but this is the first time we actually find out why she's remembering the names. She wants to find these people and kill them. Uh, we hear about pretty Pia, who's who's a, called a slut who seems to be getting around Heron Hall. Of course, these are possible, possibly just rumors. Um, we hear about Lord Lefford and his uh, nightlight. He says he, you know, he says he kind of laughs at the ghosts during the day, but keeps a candle on at night. Um, George, who's a squire who wets the bed. Uh, Harris Swift, who gets the, all the cooks spitting his food, and uh, Maester Tothmers, uh, and she, his serving girl mentions a letter received that claims that Joffrey is ill-begotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, again, in every, it's almost like every fourth rumor has a little kernel of truth, truth to it. Yeah, there's a lot of, like,
0: um, um, Martin uses this as a way to kind of, like, you know, because Arya has been not plugged into the situation Mm -hmm. that we've seen evolve through several POV chapters. This is his way, to, as a reader, to kind of signal to us, kind of, like, sum some things up. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there's all these rumors about Lord Tywood's got to do this, and he's got to go down, and he's actually marching over here. No, he's going over there. It's because these are... He's
1: going to marry Lady Lysa.
0: There's all these threats that he's having to, it's, it's, it's not just which one of these stories is true, it's like these are all the things that he has to do. And also, there's also this tantalizing, you know, we know that Lord Tywin has a plan for his family, and you hear this rumor that he wants to build Harrenhal as mm-hmm. his new seat of power. And it seems obvious in retrospect that he's preparing to hand over the family to Jaime. I think so. He wants to like, but he wants to, you know, have his own powerful prestige. Like, yeah, you can have Castle Rock. I'm just going to take our golden money and turn Harrenhal back into its glorious position as the
1: biggest, most impressive citadel in Westeros. I thought that was kind of. I think that this is exactly you know, like- what was happening. And I also noted the difference between the strategies of Rob and Tywin in this chapter because he's mm. rebuilding Harrenhal, but it's also to keep his men busy. Like Rob, right. Rob is struggling with this idea of like, if these Northmen get bored, they're gonna leave, right? Oh my, they'll just melt they'll away. They'll just melt away. So we gotta, we gotta continue to find these small battles to fight, just to keep everyone interested. Renly's off feasting his crew, right? That's how he's keeping mm-hmm. them interested. You know, he's holding a tournament and whatnot. Tywin's decided I'm gonna take these men. And I'm going to give them all something to do at Heron Hall And Heron Hall is big enough so that everyone has to be working, right? So it's not like you've got these idle men who can just kind of fade away. I thought that was an interesting strategy on his part. Yeah. Um, show differences. We already noted the difference between uh, Vargo Hote in the show, the Bloody Mummers. Of course, in the show, we have the kind of a budding relationship between Arya and Tywin. Because uh, she's right, serving as which, his cupbearer, right? Which is... That's one of the, the many changes that I think the show
0: got right. Like, that's... Absolutely. You know, a Much more... Especially when you've got Charles Dance and Maisie Williams pairing... You know, ha- having him this amused relationship with her is just such a great way yeah. to, to use both of those actors.
1: I, I like it. I think it's kind of the difference between... The way that you can tell a story in a book and the way that you could tell a story on screen, if you're going to have those two characters in the same location, why not have them interact, right? Yeah. In yeah. the book, it's sort of like, Arya's like, I don't even think I could get close to the guy, if you've, even if I wanted to turn myself in. Mm-hmm, Which has mm-hmm. kind of like a little air of truth to it, but sure. I, I, did, I did enjoy the, sh- the show's rendition of this. Um, notable departures in this book: uh, a couple of the bloody mummers get hung. Um, Lord Kerwin succumbs to his wounds, and of course, Chiswick gets got by Jack and Hagar, the ghost of Arendelle. Yeah, <laughs> the ghost of Arendelle. <laughs> I I, lo- I love this chapter. This chapter is. Uh, I mean, you really kind of see Arya. The seeds of Arya's death religion, kind of. Yeah. And plus, story. I remember the first time I read this
0: because by this time I had already, you know, I think in between season one and season two of Game of Thrones, I started reading the books. So I, yeah. I you know, I experienced this before I experienced the show. And boy, when you get to Jack and Hagar coming back around. And, like, you kind of see him, like, oh, there's the person I saved, and all that's kind of uh-huh. interesting. But when he wakes her up and says, I'm going to give you three wishes, that's such a, it's there, such an exciting thing when you're reading it for the first time. You know, yeah. like, out of nowhere, a powerful ally for Arya, who, you know, you like, everyone likes Arya yeah, from the absolutely. very first POV chapter. Absolutely. And, like, this is the first time where she's had something that's not just been a kick in the teeth. Uh, right. It's it's just it's really exciting. And it kind of kind of kicks off her hero arc you know right. because you know she's the, the jacken's going to give her the 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 glimmer of another life and a freedom and an exit and you know she's going to meet the hound and she's going to be she's going to go off on this long arc that's eventually going to make her potentially the person that you know uh kills the the night
1: king and uh, it
0: all kind of arguably starts right here that's right that's
1: right. Yeah, she's she's kind of been without a mentor for a few chapters. Like yeah. I mean, early on, Jon Snow is kind of her mentor. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you got Cyril Pharrell and then Yorin teaches her a few things to the wall and then she's just kind of mm-hmm. she's got no one. I mean it's just, yeah. just utter desperation until Jack and Hagar kind of steps into it. and and you you know, she levels up here, right? She's Mm-hmm. This this guy's an assassin in a way that no one she's met is an assassin, and it starts just. She also
0: starts exercising her agency again because you know Cyril Pharrell as cool as he is, she's just, she's essentially cosplaying as a hero. Yeah. You know, she's practicing wooden swords, and you know it's just something her father's doing to kind of keep her happy. But this is you know, and then when she gets, uh, uh, she, she's under this guy's care, being taken to the Night's Watch. She she has no say in this. Jacken gives her a say. Right, where she can have active control over her life for the first time in a long time. That's a great point. And, yeah, and she kind of like never lets it go from this point in the the narrative on. Right, right. She starts she starts seeing things as not things being done to her, and but but things that she can actively do.
1: In 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 the nick of time too, because really she's kind of hopeless, and mm-hmm. she she almost goes from hopeless to superhero overnight. So this is going to air August 3rd. What is going to be happening at Bald Move around August 3rd? We still probably have, we are probably wrapping up uh, Strange
0: New Worlds. Star Trek Strange New Worlds will be hip deep in Justified. uh uh-huh. Um. And I feel like there's other things that are coming. What about I the Asim- Asimov? Oh, found, yeah, we'll still be doing, that's the, the other pulp thing we'll be doing. We'll be doing uh, season two of Foundation and Justified City Primeval. Uh, if you like, you know, like cop shows, this is a really, really awesome one with a really well, awesome just... central character. It's based on an uh, Elmore Leonard novel. Yeah. If you know anything about Elmore Leonard, he is master of the twisty criminal plot with fantastic characters. It uh, should be a lot of fun. And then Foundation is just one of the you know, grandfathers of science
1: fiction of all time. Let me just do a little uh, testimonial for this. I feel like for people who didn't watch season one of Foundation, you got to watch it and you got to listen to the, the bald move coverage of that, because this is exactly the, it's almost the perfect show for a bald move to cover. And in addition to that, you actually have on the, one of the showrunners uh, for yeah. a couple of those episodes right
0: yeah 100 percent. we don't do this very often but uh they actually reached out to us uh, david s goyer um you know in the th- three or four episodes in uh dropped us a lines uh gave us a his take on one of our takes and then said hey if you if you want i'd be happy to talk about the show yeah. and we took him up on it and I think he's going to be coming back uh, a couple times this That'll season too. That'll be fantastic.
1: And, and I just want to say that this is one of those times where the show, I think, is better than the, the source material. You, there's a lot of people that will that will pillory you for that opinion. They can, but but, I, but the the most interesting has, thing about this story to me yeah. is the empire figure, right? And and right. there and that guy is nowhere in, in the, the original story right I think he gets one sentence uh the the emperor
0: cleon gets one one sentence to him in the first book but yeah like they have really found the way to make this story that's going to potentially spin thousand spent span thousands of years yeah. they've really come up with some clever ideas that keep some continuity in protagonists antagonists and you know i did, i like the concept of psycho history, the idea that you can predict large patterns of human behavior and there's a savior figure just trying to save the galaxy yeah. from, but you also have to in, explicitly trust in his process. The only he had, there's, there's a lot of good, big science fiction concepts. And also boy, uh this is one of the
1: most beautiful shows. Oh, it just on television. Oh man, it's gorgeous, gorgeous and, and uh, amazing acting. And I just, I'm not just talking nakedly pace. The
0: rest of the, the show <laughs> is just as beautiful as that man they've really really put
1: some elbow elbow grease into the the world building the effects of it right um anyway tune into foundation and then make sure you you listen to the bald move coverage afterwards well thank you